this in his name. Amen. Well, we are uh, in the third week of a series called Joy Fulfilled. And uh, what we've been looking at is the unique way in which the, the, uh, the Bible is kind of held together. Uh, you have in the Old Testament, we've been reading, going through something called the story. We've been reading God's story and seeing the unique way God's been working with the people. But there, there, we, we kind of ended in a, in a dark spot, this spot where there was a, uh, uh, the, the people of God were taken into captivity. Uh, but in that time, Prophets began to speak. Prophets began to talk about a time that would come where God would send a promised king and his, his kingdom would last forever. And so we've been looking at some of those, those unique words that were spoken hundreds of years before Jesus came and how as Jesus enters into the world, we see those things being fulfilled. Uh, and so uh, today what we're going to do is we're going to see one of those interesting prophecies about not uh, necessarily Jesus, but, but a, a piece of that whole puzzle, uh, one that God would send to prepare the way for Jesus. Uh, preparing ourselves for Jesus, and, and I think maybe even you know, preparing yourself for Christmas sometimes is a challenging thing. Uh, what have you been doing so far this month to prepare your heart for Christmas? I don't know what it takes. Uh, for us, usually it's watching Elf or uh, baking or, you know, there's these different things we do where all of a sudden it feels a little bit more like Christmas. Maybe it was this morning as you're shoveling the snow off your grass uh, at 8 a.m., uh, uh, whatever it was. Uh, so here's what I want you to do. Would you turn to the person next to you? You only get 10 seconds. What have you been doing this season to prepare yourself for Christmas? Turn, go. You have 20 seconds, 10 each. Go. All right, so I don't know if you picked it up, but the, the very first lines we were singing in the service, we were, we were singing a little bit about this. So we sang joy to the world, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And in this song, this idea for joy to come, your heart has to be prepared. And God knew that. And, and uh, one of the things that he did is he said, I'm going to send someone to prepare people's hearts for when my son, when the king comes. And Isaiah was a prophet. And Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 40 verse 3 said this, that there will be a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, I don't know if you're, uh, how familiar you are with the Christmas stories in the Bible, but there are these, these fascinating stories that kind of run tangent with it. Uh, we might almost call them kind of like a, a co-characters that are, are helping to tell the story. And one of those stories is about a man named John. Uh, we call him John the Baptist because of the things that he did. He was out in the desert baptizing people. But John is the second miracle baby born at Christmas time. He is, he is the cousin of Jesus. And there, was, and, and there was kind of a miraculous birth to him and to his parents. Uh, but John is important because John is the link. He's the link between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's the link between what God was doing and the saving work he was doing and now the, the new work he's about to do. John is that link. And he had a mission. And his mission was to prepare people's hearts. So Here's our big idea today that I want you to see is that uh, we're going to see through John that we, 
2,000 years later, just as John was teaching, that we too should make every effort to prepare our hearts for Jesus. This was John's mission. This was John's job description to prepare the way to help make sure every single person was prepared for Jesus to come. But we read these words now thousands of years later and we see that the same thing is true. That if we want to prepare our hearts for Christmas, we want to prepare our hearts really for for taking Jesus, all of who he is, then we need to hear John's message. We need to watch who he was. We need to see something in in this and and John will lead the way in this. Uh, So let me invite you to turn to uh, the book of Matthew chapter 3. If you want to use a Bible in front of you, page 967. Um, It'll also be up here on the screens. But I, I just want to take you through... As John bursts on the scene, we'll see a little bit about who John is and and the work that God called him to do. And we'll discover some ways in which we can also prepare our hearts for Christmas. So as you're turning there, let me just try to catch you up a little bit on who John was and his story. So John is the miraculous son to a man named Zechariah and a woman named Elizabeth. They were an older couple. They had no children. And so in that culture, to be older and to be barren, to have no children, it was shame, it was disgrace, it was a, a, a sign that God's favor was not on you. It was, it was humiliating. Now, Zechariah, on top of all this, was a priest. His, his, he was chosen to go in uh, to the temple to offer the sacrifice. And when he did, the, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said that he was going, they were going to have a baby. And the, this baby would, would play this role. And so the angel gives this prophecy again. Remember, there's a prophecy uh, hundreds of years before. Now the angel says this prophecy is about to come true. And the prophecy is going to come through, come true through your son. And, and he's trying to put it all together. And he kind of questions it. And so the angel says this. Just as a sign that God's going to do this, you will not speak until this child is born. And so when Zechariah came out of the temple, he could, he, he could just mumble. He couldn't speak. They all knew that he'd had some kind of encounter with God. And so Zechariah had to go home that night and then try to mumble his way through an explanation that, honey, tonight you and I are getting busy. Uh, things are going to happen because God is going to finally give us a child. And you got to imagine, this is kind of, this is kind of a, it, it's a challenging thing to think through. So Elizabeth gets pregnant. It's a miracle. Uh, and, and, and all this is happening. Now, it, it's a double miracle because she's not only going to have a baby, but her husband's not going to speak for nine months. This is like a double blessing. <laughs> when the baby comes, when John comes, when he's born, uh, there's this moment where they, they uh, uh, say they uh, uh, want to name him. Uh, they say, well, they, they should call him Zechariah like his father. And he says, you know, no. Uh, she says, no, no, his name's going to be John. And they give him, he asks for a writing tablet. He writes out the name John and his tongue is open and he begins to praise. And we'll look at that in a moment. But this is who he is. And, and from the very beginning, we understand that he has a mission. Now, when Elizabeth was pregnant, it was interesting. She went to go, uh, Mary had come to see her. Mary's pregnant with Jesus. Elizabeth is pres- pregnant with John. She, uh, Elizabeth's about six months pregnant before Mary. And so as, as uh, Mary entered into the home, it says that John leapt for joy in her womb. Luke chapter 1 says this, that as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, Elizabeth says, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. John knew from the very beginning there was something that, that joy is found in Jesus. And this is what our theme is all about. Uh, so let's, let's uh, uh, we want to look at, at this whole thing and what John's going to talk about. Because what John's going to talk about is preparing their hearts that this king would come. 
Now, these, what we know about the people at this time, they were tired of any rule, any king over them but God's king. They were tired of Babylon. They were tired of Persia. And now they were tired of Rome. They wanted anyone else to, they wanted God's king to rule over them. And so Matthew chapter three, verses one to 12, uh, John grows up, he moves out into the desert and he has a ministry out there. And this is where we read about uh, uh, John writing. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this is he who was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God could raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Well, as we look at this message of John, there's, a couple, there's two things I want you to see about who John was, what his ministry was, things that I think that are really important that help us see ways that we can prepare our hearts uh, for Jesus. Uh, but then I want us to think a little bit about how we will uh, spend time responding this week to this. So the first thing I want you to see in this is, is that John shows us that if we're going to prepare our hearts, that we have to let Jesus become greater and greater and greater in our lives. You have to let Jesus become greater in your life. Now, we, we, you notice something as you read this, that John, John was a bigger than life personality. That people were coming out, not just from the surrounding area, not just from the, the, the kind of the town, but they were coming all from the, the whole region. People were coming out to come see him. In fact, it even says that even the, the religious leaders were coming and they were kind of sneaking their way in. You notice as he kind of calls them a brood of vipers, they're kind of sneaking in, kind of seeing if, if John's legit or not. But everyone's coming out and they're wondering. In fact, in, in the gospel of John, it says that they wondered, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one, the promised king that's supposed to come? But John makes it very clear. Don't you notice that John's making it clear in every part of his message that he has come for a reason. And his reason is to point to someone else. John never makes it about himself. The crowds are coming. The fame is coming. And all John wants to do is deflect that attention to someone else. John says, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare a straight pathway for the Lord's coming. A prophet said this. An angel said this, John's dad said this, now John has embraced this. He knows this is who I am, this is my mission. My job is to point to someone greater than me. 
He says, I'm only a voice. He says, in fact, the one who is coming, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. In Greek, in Roman, in Jewish culture, the lowest of the low servants would carry the sandals. And John's saying, look, when it comes to him, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. That's how great he comes. He he begins to speak of his baptism. He says, look, I'm going to baptize you with water. I'm going to get your heart right that you can receive him. But when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he begins to show that, that something great is about to happen. That when Jesus comes, something great will come. He says, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, in the times leading up to this, there were moments where they saw the Spirit of God fall. It would fall on a person, it would fall on a moment, but but, uh, then the Spirit would kind of leave. But John's saying, no, there's there's a time coming when he comes, he's going to baptize you in the Spirit. Now, Now, baptism means to immerse. It means to drench. So when we baptize you here, we take you all the way under. In fact, some of you know this. When we're standing backstage with you, We tell you, hey, we're going to hold you under the water as long as it takes for all your sins to be cleansed. And some of you are like looking with big eyes like, that's going to take a while. Uh, I should have brought a snorkel. Uh, But we take you all the way. It means to immerse. It means to, to, to plunge, to drench. So think about what John's saying. He's saying when he comes, he wants to drench your life. He wants to immerse your life in God's spirit. He wants to fill your life with God's spirit. Now, the prophets had begun speaking of this. They, they, they spoke that, that, that a day like this would come. Isaiah says in Isaiah 44, 3, he says, I will pour out my spirit and my blessings on your children. Ezekiel, a prophet, said this, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Joel says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Hundreds of years before this, the prophets began to speak that there will come a day when the Spirit will be poured out on you and God will dwell in you. Your life can be filled with God's presence and his power. But if you want that, you have to prepare your heart. You have to prepare the way. John says that day is coming. And as that day began to to come, uh, uh, part of the story, we know this, is that when Jesus did come, John saw him. He says, there he is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He he baptized John and the Spirit fell on on Jesus and then Jesus' ministry begins. And as Jesus' ministry began, uh, the crowds began to leave John and go to Jesus. And as they left uh, John and went to Jesus, uh, John's disciples came to, to John and said, Hey, this isn't good. The crowds are leaving. The fame is kind of fading. They're all going over to Jesus. What do we do about it? And John just smiled. He was thrilled because this is why he came. In fact, he uses this this brilliant word picture. He says, uh, he's the groom. I'm the best man. In the book of John, it says this. He says, you yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah. I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Your friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. And if you need a life verse, it's this last line. He must become greater, and I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less. 
don't know if you've ever been a best man or a maid of honor. I've been best man three times. I'm, uh, my two best friends and my brother. And, and, and I've probably done a couple hundred weddings. And here's what I know. The job of the best man, you direct everyone's attention to the bride and groom. You and I have been to those weddings, haven't we? Where the best man upstages the bride and groom, right? And you, you, you're kind of like cringing a little in your seat because you remember that moment and, you're, and the, whether the speech got out of hand or just too, it got a little weird on the dance floor, whatever it was. And you know when that happens, that's a train wreck. The, the, the best man, the maid of honor, they don't, they don't take away from the bride and the groom. And this is what John says. He says, my job as the best man is to draw all the attention on him and to make him greater and greater and greater. And I have to become less. How have you been making him greater and greater and greater in your life? How have you been making him greater and greater and greater this season? You know, as we think of John's instructions, John gives us instructions of things to do. He says, look, if you want to see him, if you want to take him in, if you want all that he has, prepare the way. So imagine a king and, and everyone coming with him, and, and there's, there's roadblocks, there's stuff in the path. He says, get that stuff up and get it out of the way so he has a clear path. He can, he can, he can, we can usher him right in. And John says, in that same visual idea, he says, my job is to do that for your heart. If there's anything in your heart that's blocking you from taking him in, all of who he is, And all that he has for you, he says, get it out of the way. Clear the path. For some of us, what we realize that's in the way is pride. Pride. And so it's tough when a king comes, isn't it? We talked about this. That when a king comes and wants to sit on the throne, that's difficult. Because we like to sit on the throne. We like to call the shots. We like it to be about our kingdom. But when a king comes, we have a choice. The Christmas story shows us we have a choice. We can be like Herod. We could try to fight him. Or we can be like the wise men. We can bow down. We can worship. We can give over all the gifts that we have, our best. Some of us, pride is in the way and we need to remove it. It can't be about our kingdom. It has to be about his. Uh, but for others of us, it's, the problem is stress. What's stand in the way of you taking in all of who God is and all that what God wants and bringing his king into the world is you've got too much stress going on. And stress is going to come as a result of you, of pride and, and mixed up priorities. Because if you're going to make this about your kingdom and your reign, then you're going to fly your plane upside down. And Jesus didn't come to turn your life upside down. He came to turn your life right side up. And you want to know why you have stress? It's because you are seeking the wrong priorities. If you're putting anything above his kingdom, then you're going to be living and and flying upside down. And Jesus says, I didn't come to turn your life upside down. I came to turn your life right side up. And so for some of us right now, some of you, let's be honest, you'd be happy if Chris, you, you don't want to admit this out loud, but you're kind of feeling like, you know, I'd probably be okay if we just skipped Christmas this year. I mean, you just feel so stressed over everything that's going on and, and how your life feels right now. And so if it's stress, we got to get that stuff out of the way. 
And Jesus, what we see here is that if you want to take in Jesus, all that he is, all that he has, you have to remove anything that is in the way of taking him in, of receiving him. But here's the second thing I want you to see about John. And John reveals something about our life and mission as well. And that is that we are to help others, uh, help prepare the way for others. John reveals that we are to help prepare the way for others. Now, John had a specific role. He was to go first. He was to prepare the way for Jesus. But if you look at the description, the job description and what he is to do, we discover now that we who are now in Christ share a similar description. He understood his mission from the very beginning. So when this moment came for Zechariah, when he finally had his his mouth open, he could speak again, he broke into song. John's dad, when he was born, he broke into this song of praise. And listen to what he said about his son. This is who his son would be. He says, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, and you'll go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Notice what John's going to do. He's going to give people a knowledge of salvation that God wants to give that they would see the tender mercy of God, that God's desire is not that you live in sin, but that you be forgiven of sin, that you be freed from sin and from death and from darkness. John was going to shine a light in dark places and he was going to lead people in a path towards peace. Peace with God. This is what the angels come and sing. That there would be peace on earth, not just an absence of strife, but that there would be this reconciliation. Peace between God and men. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but this is what you are invited into as well. That, that the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians, that you, you have now as, now, as a new creation in Christ, you have now been given a job description too. And that is to be an ambassador of the king. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 talks about the unique role that we play as being appointed ambassadors as if God, and this strategy at times to me seems very strange, but it says that God is going to make his appeal to the world through us. The king has appointed us ambassadors. And we are to go into the world and let them know that God does not want to be distant from them. God does not want to be at war with them. God wants there to be peace. He wants there to be relationship. He wants to fill their lives with his presence and with his power. And this is why what we say to you is that uh, we want you to pray, prayerfully understand that you have a little relational world we call 8 to 15. That you have in your life 8 to 15 people who you do life with. They're your neighbors. They're, they're, they're on your teams. They're your coworkers. They're people in your family. They're these people that you just do life with. And what we ask you to do is just prayerfully, mindfully, just listen for God's nudging and say, God, how can I help them see? How can I shine light in darkness? How can I pray for them, encourage them, uh, uh, serve them in ways that blesses you and blesses them? And what we're trying to create isn't a strategy, it's just a culture that you, we see from the very beginning of God's story, that God's people were meant to be blessed 
but not just to live in that blessing, but to share that blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing that all the nations would know the blessings of God through us. And so how is it that that you are living in God's mission with him, looking to, to bless the people in your life with the blessings God himself has given you? I want to encourage you, uh, this week we'll have four Christmas Eve services. And these are great opportunities for us to share the, the, the love of God with people. The f- it's, it's fascinating when we begin to think about God sending his son into the world. And this is a great opportunity. And I've seen the music. You've heard just a blip of that from, from Sandra. Some of the great music. Uh, Manny and, and has a spoken word. This is different things. Some really cool elements. But we want to invite you. There's, there are four services. Uh, uh, Matt was telling you about the invite cards. Grab some of those. Come one night with friends. Come one night with family if you can. But there's very few th- events that we do that are designed this way. But Christmas Eve, we design what we say for them, for people in our lives who maybe don't quite know what it means to know Jesus yet and to know the life it is with him. And that means for us, it's not like our personal service. It's not our quiet little thing that maybe we would want. Uh, but we make it about them and make it in ways that we can share the good news of what God has done. And I want to encourage you to think about this. Now, sometimes when we don't live in God's mission, we miss out on who he is and all that he has for us. And sometimes we miss out that the obstacle that stands in the way for us is uh, that we are just f- far too busy. We're too busy for God and his agenda and his work. Uh, But what you see in in the Christmas stories time and time again is that the the characters are always making themselves available to God, to be used by God, to have their, their lives interrupted by God if need be. And some of us are missing out on the the power of God's spirit working in us and through us because we're just too busy. And if you're just too busy... John says, you're going to miss him. You're going to miss the thing he wants to do in you. You're going to miss the thing he wants to do through you. And John says, get it out of the way. Get it out of the way so you don't miss it. For others of us, it's not busyness. It's just apathy. We just don't care. And so we don't think about the the fact that there are people who are separated from God. And it hasn't quite hit us yet. You know, there was a moment in Jesus' life when, when he's standing over and he's looking over Jerusalem. And it says this, it says that as he looked over the people, he said that he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what it literally means is this, is that I don't know if you've ever felt this before. Have you ever had, had something so upset you, it made you sick to your stomach? That you, you felt something in your gut that just made you nauseous? It says when Jesus saw people lost without God and no one helping them, they were like sheep without a shepherd. No one would help them. They were apathetic. It says it turned his stomach. And Jesus says if, 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 if you're not in that place, John says if you're not in that place, if, you're, if you just, if there's not a sense of care and openness to, of what God wants. He says, he says you got to get this stumbling block out of the way. If something's in the way, move it out of the way so you can see him and take him fully in. So, so here's what I want to I end with this. I want to encourage you. What we see in John's message is something very clear. Remove whatever obstacles keep you from seeing Jesus this Christmas. 
if it's pride, if it's apathy, if it's busyness, whatever it is, if it's stress, whatever it is, John's saying, whatever is in the way of you seeing Jesus, of you taking him in, of you, of you experiencing all the fullness he wants for your life, he says, get it out of the way. And John says it this way. The, the, the word that he uses this, he says, repent. And repentance means this. It means the way you're going, recognize the way you're going is not life-giving. Recognize that the way you're going is not God-pleasing. And, and repentance means turn your life back. Turn it around. Turn it back towards God. It's just a simple invitation. It, it's, it's not to scare you. It is to invite you into life. That the way you're going is a path that leads to destruction. And we can see this in, in it. He says, no, turn your life back towards a path that leads to life. And we see that what he's saying is turn your life over. Turn, turn back from the inside out. And say, well, if I'm going to church, is that enough? Notice what he says to the religious peoples. Look, don't think just because you say I go to church, just because I do God's work, that that's enough. He says, produce fruit that shows that your life is really turning around from the inside out. Change from the inside out. Turn your heart over from the inside out and see where he goes. And John did something fascinating. I don't know if you saw this, but John, John was out in the desert and he was baptizing. Now, the people he's baptizing are, are kind of interesting. So we kind of think, well, baptism, yeah, I get it. That's what churches do. But you have to understand, in those days, who, the people John's baptizing, he's baptizing the Jews. He's baptizing the Israelites. This, they weren't baptized. Uh, the people that were baptized in those days were the Gentiles, the people that were non-Jewish people that wanted to become uh, Jewish, who wanted to convert to Judaism. And so they would be baptized as a sign of their cleansing and coming into the faith. But notice what John's saying. It's not just for them. It's for all of us. All of us need to turn our hearts towards God. All of us need to be cleansed by God. All of us need to be ready to receive what God has for us. And John says, look, if you, if you, if you won't take those steps, you'll miss it. You'll miss his presence. You'll miss his power. You'll miss the life he has for you. And John does a very challenging thing. He draws a line in the sand. It's dramatic. And he says, you got to come over. You got to come with me. Because if you don't, you'll miss it. And some of us are going to miss it. We're going to miss it because of the chaos in our life. Our lives are getting more and more out of control and maybe even Christmas is one of those seasons for you where you just think all it does, Christmas does, is it just brings up for me all the pain of disappointment, missed opportunities, the ways I feel absolutely forgotten by God. And so rather than inviting him in, you push him more and more away. Can I invite you to reconsider something? The story of John, of Elizabeth, of Zechariah, of so many of the biblical characters is the story of God reaching out to the poor and to the oppressed, to those who feel lost and shunned and forgotten. Story after story after story shows that this king comes in the most humble of ways to say, I don't want you to live in chaos. I have not forgotten you. 
Don't push me away. Welcome me in. But for others of us, what stands in the way simply is sin. And the reality is this. You're trying to get right with God. You're trying to do it all in your own strength. You're trying to use religion or good works or some kind of thing like that to make you right with God. Aren't you tired? Don't you feel exhausted from trying to earn your way to God's favor? Don't you feel what it feels like to not know whether or not you've done enough to measure up to God? Why did Jesus enter into this world? He entered into this world because of God's great love for you, because he does not want you. He knows you can't do it on your own. He knows you can't, you can't pay the price of your sin, so he's come to do it for you. And John says, clear this stuff out of the way. Receive him in. Let him fill your life with his presence and his power. And you will live like you've never lived before. The promise of God is this. What he wants to give you is abundant life eternally. Abundant life with him now, forever, never ending. That's the invitation that he gives. And if you think you're going to do it on your own strength, you're going to someday stand before him and say, did I do enough? That's never, that was never the plan. This is why Jesus has entered the world. Because we can't do it ourselves. You need him. And John says, clear whatever's in the way and receive him in. Whatever is in the way of you not being able to see him, move it, clear it, clear the path so that you can see him, so that you can take him in, so that you can receive all that he has for you. Embrace this child in your life. Embrace this king in your life. And so as we close, we're going to close with a word of prayer. And I want to give you a couple questions just to reflect on. As you think about this, I, I want you just to see that there, there's a, remember John's words. He must become greater. I must become less. How does he want to do that in your life? How does he want to become great in your life? And I love this. There's a great picture of, of what happens when, when, when the people of God allow that to happen. Remember Joel prophecies said this, that there will come this day and he will pour out his spirit. Listen to what Joel says. He says, and afterwards he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And he says, you won't believe what will happen in those days. Men and women, young and not so young. You'll see things. You'll know things. You'll, God will just, he will blow your mind with the things he wants to do in you and through you. But you've got to prepare the way. You've got to clear your heart. And so as we close, I'm going to put a couple questions up here on the screen just for you to pray, pray through. And about a minute, 90 seconds or so, the team will lead you in a, in a final song. Uh, but here's the word, here's what I want you to think about. How is God inviting you to make his son Jesus greater and greater in your life? Look, if Jesus is just kind of that baby in a nativity, can I invite you this morning 
to make him the Savior and Lord of your life. In the quiet of this moment, I just encourage you to bow your heart, to bow your head, to just say, Lord, I don't want you to be out there. I want you to be in here. I want you to fill my life. I want to know you and the life you have for me now and forever. And what scripture says is that when we come to him in faith, that he cleanses us of our sin. The baptism was a a symbol of a cleansing that takes place. And he will fill your life with his spirit. You need only to come and to invite him in. For those of us who know him, we have to ask the question, what obstacles am I allowing to get in the way of fully taking him in, of fully experiencing his life? Uh, uh, How am I missing out on all that he has for me? His life, his mission. And so let me invite you to bow, to take a moment, take about uh, a minute just of silent prayer and just ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want from me today?